We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Glad to have you with us on the program today. If you're listening, well, you're listening through American Family Radio. That's the name of the network. And the show here is AFA at the Core. I'm Walker Wildman. Glad to be with you today. To keep up with the show and all things American Family Radio, don't hesitate to visit our website, AFR.net. AFR.net is our website. And when you get there, don't just visit our website, but make sure you check out my podcast page. Uh, right there on the homepage, go to AFA at the Core and check out my podcast page, my show page. You can also subscribe on all kinds of platforms. We're on on your Apple device, on your podcast store, on your Google uh, or Android device. We're there as well uh, in the podcast store there. And we're also on Spotify. So you can subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts and keep up with AFA at the core and listen at your convenience whenever you have time. If you're not able to catch the show live, we're also live streaming the video on Facebook and YouTube. Just go to the American Family Radio pages on both of those platforms and you can watch the show there. If you want to have some visuals, you'll see our studio, our headquarters here in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, And once again, this is American Family Radio. You're listening to AFA at the core. Our scripture memorization of the week is out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That's Isaiah 41, verse 10, out of the ESV version. That's our memory verse for the week. A little bit longer than last week, so... Uh, make sure you read over that. Try to memorize this with me, and I'm gonna try to try to repeat it. I'm gonna try to recite it next week to see if it really stuck on my heart and on my mind. That's Isaiah 41, verse 10. So I've got some work to do there. Jumping right into the content for today, you know this uh, this battle that we're seeing take place between parents and school administrators and school boards and school officials is pretty pretty heated you know we have parents that are that are that are beginning to realize the the influence that the public education system has on our children but not just that how oftentimes the the system can be used to promote values and ideas that are against what we believe in our home in our home setting and what we teach our children and one of the main issues that has really brought this to light is the discussion, the debate about critical race theory and whether critical race theory has any type of valuable role in the education environment. And we have a, a, a DVD uh, session with Mickey Addison that is, if it's not already out, it's coming out soon regarding critical race theory. And so we'll have Mickey on in, uh, in the coming weeks to talk about that. But, but the essence of 
and it's actually it looks like it's already up now on our resource center. If you go to resources.afa.net, it's only been out pretty recently, but it's right on the homepage there. The title of Mickey Addison's presentation, who is Mickey is host, co-host with her husband of airing the Addisons right after this show. Her DVD is titled A Biblical Response to Critical Race Theory with Mickey Addison. So you can find that on our resource center by going to resources.afa.net. But back to my main point here, you know, this critical race theory teaches race essentialism. It teaches that that there are oppressors and the oppressed and that there is no escaping that. Uh, if your skin color is a certain, uh, if your skin is a certain color, well, then you're automatically the bad guy. Or if your skin is another color, you're automatically the oppressed and you'll never get out of that state or that, that environment, which is totally um, against reality, number one, but it's also against what Scripture teaches about about redemption and about forgiveness. So it's a very, very toxic ideology. And so Mickey Addison addresses that from a biblical viewpoint. The clip I want to play here, this is this is a Fair, Fairfax parent teacher association leader that her name, her last name is Leet, Miss L-E-E-T-E. And she's giving this this uh, this speech at a rally, basically a rally of people who agree with critical race theory, a rally of people who want to continue indoctrinating our children with bad ideas, immoral things. And she's going on this rant about how uh, basically parents are bad and parents don't need to to have a part in, in the education of our children. So let's listen to this clip. Part of it's kind of hard to hear, but at the end she says something about letting them die, talking about parents. Let's listen. Let's deny this off-key band of people that are anti-education, anti-teacher, anti-equity, anti-history, anti-racial reckoning, anti-opportunities, anti-health people, anti-diversity, anti-platform, anti-science, anti-change agent, anti-social justice, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-LGBTQ+, anti-children, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-environment, anti-emissions policy change, anti-inclusion, anti-live and let live people. Let them die. Well, there there you go. The last three words there of the clip. Let them die. And and Miss Leets, her name is Michelle Leet. She was going through this rant about all these people who are anti this and anti that and anti LGBT. And then at the end, she says, "And let them die." And, and it's chilling, you know. The crowd there applauded her. But this is the venom. This is the 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 hatred. Uh, this is the partiality that, that some of these people have towards their fellow citizens, their fellow Americans. You know, I don't agree with Miss Leet, uh, but we would never, we should never wish her physical bodily harm. We should never wish people who are viewed as our ideological enemies, we should never wish harm upon them. That's completely unbiblical. But but many of these people, and, and here's the here's the core point. I mean, these folks don't, they don't believe in God. They're not, they're not Christians. They have no set moral value system. It's whatever the way of the world is. And that, that way of thinking can take you all kinds of places. And for Miss Michelle Leet there, who was the vice president of training for this Virginia 
uh, Parent Teacher Association, she has she has resigned. She has resigned from that position because of her poor decision making and her her actions that she took there. This is a statement from the Virginia PTA group where she resigned from. Quote, the actions and rhetoric of Ms. Leet and all of the like-minded partisan supporters of the SB, I'm assuming that's a school board or some kind of legislation there, are deeply disappointing. It evinces a deep lack of concern for children and parents, particularly where the well-being of children and families clash with, the political, with political considerations. A tweet accompanying the statement reads, so she had to resign from her position, rightfully so, because she wished bodily harm on people, on her political and ideological opponents there. Completely unacceptable to, uh, to, to wish harm on those you disagree with. But this is the, you know, this is what we get from the left oftentimes is violence. They, they, either, they either talk about violence or they do it themselves. I mean, remember Maxine Waters? During the Trump administration, get in their face. You know, don't let them get away. Uh, that type of physical confrontation never typically ends well, and that's not how our system is set up to operate. Our system is set up to operate in a peaceful manner should you have issues. I came across this story, switching topics here, came across this story out of Breitbart this morning. Breitbart News is a pretty good outlet. Uh, I get a lot of good information from there, and by the way, we have our own news outlet here at American Family Association called American Family News. And you can check out their website, onenewsnow.com. We have a lot of great reporters there. But this uh, this article out of Breitbart went through uh, 10 examples of misinformation put out by President Biden. And some of these examples came during the campaign trail and before he, was, uh, before he became president. Uh, but yesterday we talked about how the Facebook, I'm sorry, about how the White House admitted that they were colluding with Facebook to to deplatform people they disagree with because of quote misinformation, and we know that that's code speak. Misinformation that term is now code speak for we don't like what you're saying, so we're going to deplatform you. It doesn't matter if what you're saying is factually true. We're just going to deplatform you form you because what you're saying goes against what we believe and what we like, and that's what's going on here with this term misinformation. And by the way, the Founding Fathers mentioned nothing in the First Amendment about, you know, the, the government can cancel you, they can censor you if you're spreading misinformation. That's not in the Constitution. The Constitution, the First Amendment, gives people the right to say things that we disagree with. That's part of America. That's part of living in a free society and having civil rights and constitutional liberties. But these, uh, these 10 points, I just want to go through these because— the left, ironically, they're notorious for spreading misinformation. They're notorious for spreading half-truths or flat-out falsehoods. And I'm going to read some of these before we end this segment. Here's, a, here's the first area where Joe Biden spread, mis, spread misinformation, at least in recent history. Misinformation about neo-Nazis. I'm reading directly from the Breitbart story here. Biden launched his presidential campaign in April 2019 by claiming that President Donald Trump had referred to neo-Nazis and white supremacists in Char Charlottesville, Virginia, as, quote, very fine people. In fact, Trump had said that they should be, quote, condemned totally, end quote. Biden did not invent the lie, but by repeating it, he convinced many Americans that their president was a Nazi sympathizer, and he stoked racial tensions 
that fed nationwide unrest. That's the first example of misinformation put out by Joe Biden himself. The second example is about the coronavirus vaccine. Biden and and Kamala Harris were the first really critics of the vaccine when they were running for uh, their position. In August 2020, then-candidate Biden told Americans that they could not trust a vaccine that was being produced by Trump's Operation Warp Speed. Quote from Biden, it's not likely to go through all the tests and trials that are needed to be done, end quote, basically creating, I don't know, vaccine hesitancy there. We go on to say uh, that Biden said slandering the FDA, the uh, Food and Drug Administration, he also said Trump was, quote, moving it quicker than the scientists think it should be moved, end quote, falsely claiming the authority of science. So basically undermining the vaccine there, coming from Joe Biden himself, uh, shifting. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep moving on past these. And by the way, I've, I'm going to post this on my Twitter page, on my parlor or parlay page, and also on the Gitter uh, platform, G-E-T-T-R. We'll still figure out how to pronounce that. But I'm going to post this story out there so you guys can find it. Uh, moving moving on to, okay, this one's, this one's a big whopper here. Uh, when police shot uh, Jacob Blake Jr. in Kenosha, Wisconsin last August, Biden called Blake, quote, a victim of excessive force, end quote, and said that, quote, the officers must be held accountable, end quote. In fact, the reality was that Blake was armed with a knife had fought with officers and was wanted on an outstanding warrant for sexual assault. A subsequent investigation exonerated the police officers. Biden's lie fueled outrage that had already exploded into riots on Kenosha's streets. So that's another example of misinformation. Let's see. Okay, last one here. This is our last whopper from Joe Biden. The Biden campaign told reporters that stories about Hunter Biden's laptop were, quote, Russia misinformation, end quote. In fact, the stories turned out to be true, showing that Hunter Biden had set up meetings with his father and his foreign business partners and that he had sought overseas business opportunities using his father's name. Biden's claims were, quote, misinformation designed to mislead the electorate. Well, folks, if you want to know where the misinformation comes from, it comes from the Democrats. They are the party. They are the people that are most responsible for misinformation in our country. So when you read the news, folks, make sure you get it right and not misinformation. We'll be back in a few minutes. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Today, some professing Christians assert that critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality are helpful tools for the church. These people have an appearance of godliness, but their assertions deny the sufficiency of God's word to guide the church in living out the reconciliation Jesus secured for us on the cross. Make no mistake, as Paul told Timothy, the God-breathed scripture is sufficient for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those who have an appearance of godliness but deny the power of God's word for doctrine and practice must be identified and avoided. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Dr. Richard Land. Welcome to Bringing Every Thought Captive. Critical race theory believes that everything is determined by race, and you're judged by your race. In fact, it condemns us to endless discrimination. It overtly says that the remedy for past discrimination is present discrimination in the other direction, and the cure for present discrimination is future discrimination. And so, as they would put it, the so-called oppressors, the whites, would be discriminated against from now into perpetuity. It's contrary to Scripture on many, many fronts. Christianity teaches that we are all made in the image of God. We are in Adam. We are human beings in one race, the human race. We are not substantially different. We are substantially the same. Racism is thus a sin. It looks at others as less than human or less human than ourselves. Christianity teaches fundamental anthropological unity. Critical race theory teaches fundamental anthropological difference. It teaches us that whites are fundamentally racist. This is not the case. And so CRT conflicts with Christianity at a very basic level. It also attacks the idea of righteousness. Righteousness is found in Christ. CRT teaches that righteousness is found in rebalancing power, stripping privilege, and silencing those who have privilege. One becomes righteous under CRT by checking privilege. One is not unrighteous because of the fall of Adam. This conflicts completely with Christianity. Critical race theory has a different view of salvation. Salvation is not found in Christ. It is found in changing the culture. The law is a tool of redistribution rather than a way to regulate the behavior of man and punish wrongdoers, as is taught in Romans. This conflicts with the Christian view of salvation and the Christian view of government. Critical race theory turns social justice on its head. Critical race theory's goal is equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. Thus, success must be punished and failure must be rewarded. Changing legal inequality is not enough. Whites must admit guilt and atone. This is inconsistent with Christianity. The New Testament does not teach that we are to repent and atone for the sins of our ancestors. We can apologize and work to see that such sins do not occur again. But the admission of guilt and atonement for the sins of our ancestors that critical race theory requires is unbiblical. And critical race theory rejects the concept of redemption. And that is a very sad story. Christianity is a much more optimistic view of the future. This is Richard Land. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back in the studio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Every Tuesday, I welcome in studio with me on the show, and every Thursday, my brother, Wesley Wildman. He's also vice president of outreach here at AFA. He also hosts a weekend show, Share Truth, Apply Scripture, on Saturdays. Wesley, glad to have you back, brother. I'm glad to be back. And for those that watch on YouTube, there's going to come a day where Walker does do some type of beatbox to the music coming in. <laughs> I don't know. You know, may- I can dance pretty good. Okay. That's yeah. my wife. I don't I know. I can dance yeah. pretty good. So I don't know. He made the beat. You can get jiggy with it. Okay. Well, then, well, Bobby's the best, though. He does. He's got the right moves. We've seen it. We've seen it. We know. For those that know Bobby. Well, here's the question we always get. Are you guys twins? You want to answer that? Okay. So, no, we're not twins. And we're actually, this will surprise a lot of people, we're actually four and a half years apart. And I'm the oldest. Walker's the youngest. He's the baby. That's right. <laughs> he, he agreed to it. Yeah, right my there. mom used to call me yeah. Prince Walker. He's the baby. Um, but, yeah, people get us. You know, I tell people as I travel. I was spoiled. People get us confused so much when I travel that um, I, it just depends on the mood. Sometimes I just go with it. You know yeah. what? I'll be Walker today. Whatever you think, whatever you want. But, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Most of the time I correct them. But I do. I will say this, though. I have told people that get us confused. I tell them, look, if it was a good idea – 
It was probably mine, <laughs> and if it was not, it was probably Walker's. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I trimmed up a little bit, so you got more of a heavier beard, yeah. so people can di- the, differentiate. The us. one area that I did follow you in, and you didn't follow me in, is I followed you with the haircut. You did. You I did. Was, I was late getting there. The but short haircut and yeah. the spike every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I had. To, I used to have the long uh, swooshy. Uh, hair is it swooshy is that a word long? i don't know but it i, think, is I now. think we can make it a <laughs> yeah, word it is now i had the long hair there for a it while it had a swoosh I, in it I like to the side yeah i had yeah. to i had to clean that up because i had to look professional and i needed to uh i need to grow up a little bit so i got the haircut i felt i felt a little older when i did it. i felt a little more mature now if i get caught up with my dad i'm gonna wish i had it back yeah that's true <laughs> well, I, look i've already <laughs> told everybody if i bobby if i start losing my hair i'm just gonna just shave, shave it off yep I'm with you on that one. No, I think you yes. both have a long way to go yeah. and catch me for one thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Hey, look, Walker, I look forward to every Tuesday and Thursday to being on the program with you. I have my role here and I hope to fulfill it the best I can. And for the audience, if there's something that you want to see me cover or you want to see Walker cover, just let us know. Where can they go to uh, give us comments or feedback on the program? Yeah, I'm actually working on an email account okay. where folks can email us. So we'll, uh, we'll have that up and running tomorrow uh, where folks can email in their comments, their questions, their feedback on the show. Yeah, and we really are. I mean, we want to be a listener-driven program. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're a listener-funded program. Sure. So if there's something you want us to cover or, or a position you want us to consider or look at, let us know because we'll definitely do our – got a great team, a great staff here at AFA, and – there's a great. We got a great staff here with AFA at the core, and so we want to make sure that we do our digging. Absolutely. Hey, I want to play this clip to get us started here on our on our discussions. You know, uh, as I mentioned in the last segment, parents are beginning to be very involved in their students' educational um, practice and their students' education, and that's a good thing. That's a that's a noble thing. Uh, more parents being involved ends up being better for everyone as a society. And uh, clip three here. This is a Connecticut mom on Fox News, and she's talking about how she just doesn't agree with young children wearing masks all day, eight hours a day in public schools. Let's listen. Listen, I think parents are just getting fed up. There are substantial risks with wearing these masks, and it's causing fear and isolation in our kids and learning difficulties, and there aren't enough benefits to outweigh the risks in that population that is so much less affected by this virus. There you have it. That's Liz Patterson. She's a parent in Connecticut on Fox News. She's uh, uh, joined with other parents and moms in this school district, and she's voicing her concerns about forcing young kids to wear a mask. But, Wesley, this gets us into the conversation of how involved should parents be in the lives of their children? Oh, my word. That's the question. And as we answer that question here the rest of this segment, I want to ask our audience the question, and that's that, um, and it's, it's a question that all good parents have asked at some point in their raising of their children, but are you a good parent? And I'm not asking you that in this, in a way that's uh, uh, making any type of uh, judgments because this listening audience is huge and I have no idea who's listening, but I want to make sure that it's clear that I'm asking in a way of uh, self-critique and mm-hmm. in a way that's asking ourselves, are we doing what's best? And there may be some areas that you evaluate as we discuss this topic that you say, I'm doing really good and I need to keep on. There may be some areas that you decide that you need to uh, have put more attention to. So, yeah, the question is, uh, are we good parents? And and uh, specifically, before we get into what the Scripture says about it and look at that, uh, I am uh, thrilled to see that not only on the topic of encroachments on people's or on children's rights um, in the public schools, but I'm also uh, thrilled to say what you discussed in your first segment about 
parents getting involved in the school board over the topics such as CRT. And there's a gentleman, you may think of his name in a minute, I can't remember off the top of my head because there's been tons of teachers and parents involved. But there's also uh, there was also a young man who was a teacher. that um, he Jonathan ca- Copel. Jonathan out Copel. Out of Louisiana. Yeah, he came forward out of Louisiana as a, teacher's, as a teacher and began to defend the rights of parents mm-hmm. and also said that this garbage – he went on to talk about the LGBT issue and how that was being indoctrinated uh, in particular apps and things like that that mm-hmm. were sponsored by the school. And so I'm thrilled to see parents and teachers uh, stepping up. And um, as we discuss uh, how to be a good parent or what is it like and asking ourselves about being a good parent, one thing, Walker, that I came across as I began to look into this, I went to about three or four different um, sites and um begin to look at uh, apologetic sites or sites that would be able to answer the question, what does it mean to be a good parent? And in all four or five instances of where I landed, there was one common factor. Obviously, the scriptures about raising your child up in the ways of the Lord. The the scriptures were common, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the statement that was common is that this is, if you're going to do it right, I'm paraphrasing here, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And so we need to understand as parents that if we're going to do this the right way, it's not going to be easy. Now, Now the fruits of it and the benefits of doing it the way God designed it is wonderful, and, and it is pleasant. And as my son gets older and older, and I've taught him some things, he's more independent, and so there's a lot more freedom, and there's a lot more, uh, there's less discipline and all that kind of stuff. Nonetheless, there are moments along the way that doing parenting the right way yeah. and being intentional and being involved will be difficult, and so we need to remember that that it's not going to be easy. Yeah, that's right. And the article that really uh, spurred this discussion is one that is that was that was put out by our um, by our by design project, or at least it was facilitated through that. That's right. But it, it went out before then. Uh, but this is an article by Jordan Shambly, one of our, our staff writers here, one of our employees here at AFA, one of our uh, writers. And the 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 question is, the title is, and what Wesley alluded to is, are you a good parent? And it goes into um, here's what Jordan said in the second paragraph. For most of us parents, it's not enough that our children are just fed, clothed, and sheltered. We want them to thrive, not simply survive. And look, I, I can admit I'm a young young dad. I have a four-year-old and, and twin two-year-olds, all boys. And, and some days, sometimes I just don't want or I don't feel like I have the energy to go above and beyond mm-hmm. in discipling them and training them on the way they should go. But but I should and right. I need to and I need to do better at that at that. Uh, but but it's our role, not just as Jordan alludes to here in his, his his article, our job is not just to make sure our kids are physically taken care of, uh, but there's a spiritual aspect to discipleship and parenting that we're responsible for as parents and that's crucial. Yeah, you're exactly right. You can go to afa.net slash by design or just go to afa.net and there's a tab right there in the middle. You can't miss it that uh, promotes our project by design. And that's where you can find the article that Walker just mentioned to that whole effort and campaign and project is oriented around reminding people the benefits and the value and the beauty of marriage, the way God designed it. And within that marriage institution uh, in many ways, well, for most people produces uh, children. And so we want to discuss the importance of being a good parent today. And as Walker talked about, you know, sometimes there are days that are longer than others, but at the end of the day, that, that may cause you to be uh, laxed in some areas in your parenting uh, responsibilities. But like you said, as Christians, we end the day with the answer, well, this is my responsibility, even mm-hmm. if it's difficult. 
And so I would I would encourage you uh, for those that may be new parents, uh, maybe you've just adopted some children uh, for the first time and you couldn't conceive them yourself, or maybe you've got new ones. You got you got little ones. You know they're two, three, four years old. But uh, I just want to encourage you: do not uh, wait until they're in their you know ten, fifteen, or twenty before you start mentoring them or discipling them in the ways of the Lord. Be intentional about it early. And last, I'll say about this is let's be in. Uh, creative too mm. a lot of the times when we think about discipling our kids or even discipling a friend of ours a lot of times we think of like a classroom setting with a pen and a, and a piece of paper and while that's important and my my son and i enjoy you know sitting down and writing out some bible verses on cards and memorizing them while that's fun and that's good and and that's and that's a portion of it for sure because jesus as an, as an example he definitely had his synagogue uh, moments so that we read in scripture where they studied the scripture but mm-hmm. the majority of jesus's life was spent life on life and so what i've learned and through um and i've learned this the hard way <laughs> so i'm not speaking down at you i'm speaking to you from experience from experience yeah. that the it is very important your actions speak louder than your words so while you may while Satan may be beating you up sometimes, well, you haven't sat down and gone over the catechism, or you haven't mm-hmm. sat down and done this. While that may be a, a conviction, um, or it may be Satan beating you up, you got to remember that the most important thing is the way that you are operating from day to day, and the way you're conducting yourself to your spouse, to your to your friends when you go to church. Are they seeing a double standard life on a habitual basis? Yeah. Or are they seeing the real deal, uh, Christian example that we should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, we can weave in discipleship through all kinds of activities. You know, we don't have to be at, at the church building. We don't have to be at Wednesday night services to to learn about Scripture and learn about God's character. We can weave that in through all kinds of activities, what, what we're doing outside, whether it be playing sporting events. You can weave in discipleship in all scenarios. And ultimately, going back to some of these examples that you've covered on your program and the AFR has covered about these parents stepping up, ultimately, that's the model is that parents should take the lead 100% in all aspects of their child's development, mm-hmm. um, both in their um, education, both in yeah. their spiritual life and other places, because ultimately, it's the parent's responsibility. And this is the this is the stake in the ground for me. I mean, I've planted this from day one since we had our first son as soon as he was we knew that he was conceived in the womb mm-hmm. i put my i put my flag down and i've had people have to hold me accountable for this and make sure that i'm staying down this line but ultimately it's my responsibility to teach my children truth yeah and to teach them the difference between right and wrong and john seventeen seventeen, jesus says to sanctify them by the truth your word is truth mm-hmm. we're sanctified by the truth and god's word is truth. yeah and for the parents out there you know, that feel intimidated by taking on their local school board or yeah. talking to the teacher. Look, you know, we, we we have we have full responsibility and full authority over our children. Absolutely. That's our God-given right. Can't be taken away by the government. Can't be taken away by the local school board. So so I'm not saying that we have to always be confrontational and, sure. and getting upset at, at school administrators, but we need to be engaged and do yeah. not— do not shy away, parents out there, uh, from being engaged, from participating in school board meetings, from knowing the kind of homework that your that your children are doing. Be know what's going on. Be on top of it. Uh, don't don't hesitate to to email the teacher asking for you know what their curriculum is and ask questions. I mean, we're if you're doing public schools, you're a taxpayer. 
Uh, you're paying the bill for the school administrator, so you, you should not hesitate to be able to ask them questions. Same thing with private education. At some point, you're paying the bill, so you have a right to know what's going on. Yeah, um, and I've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and one on the way. And throughout the raising of our two children and soon to be three, God has convicted me with this question. Okay, I just asked our audience earlier, are we good? Are you good parents? That was a question that we all have to answer. Um, and and if, if there's areas we can do better, that's, the, that's wonderful because we've got God's grace. He'll forgive us, and he'll give us the strength and the wisdom to make the changes. Mm-hmm. But here we go. What I've had to ask myself, is um, not only am I being a good parent, but am I the decisions that that causing me to hesitate in a particular area that I know to be true? I have to ask myself: Am I doing this for selfish? Am I not doing this for selfish reasons? Mm. Because that that selfish things I've 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 been in countless conversations with young adults with with young kids, and they're constantly talking about wanting to get away or wanting to go do this yeah. or, or needing this break and that break. And I'm not saying we don't need uh, extended Sabbaths and breaks and, and, and their seasons for uh, resetting, but but not at the expense of your family, yeah. not at the expense of the, or the raising of your children. It's, my, it's our responsibility. So yeah, don't, don't allow selfishness to get in the way of your responsibilities. Yeah, that's so true. And, and, and we really need to um, – we really need to embrace family. Yes. You know, we need to embrace the family, way God designed the it. The way God designed <laughs> it. That's the whole reason we're doing by design. Amen. Yes. We one are. man, one woman for life. I'm just going to read some statistics here, and, and we believe uh, that this is this is the path out of many of our cultural struggles. Absolutely. This is the path out of many of our societal struggles, and that is having parents. Godly parents who believe in the Word of God, discipling, raising their children, taking full responsibility for their household, uh, that is the way to fix many, mm-hmm. if not all, of the societal ills that we that we talk about here on the network. Here's a couple statistics from our By Design, our By Design uh, a project. Marriage reduces the probability of child poverty by 80%. Children raised in married parent families are two times less likely to drop out of high school. One more, uh, or two more, married parents make an average of 30% more than unmarried parents. And lastly, marriage is America's strongest anti-poverty, anti-crime, pro-health institution. That's the truth there. There's there's your solution. That's it. There's your solution to all the problems. Parents, take this take this importance and also remember to involve your children in the ministry opportunities that you've been given an opportunity to. Amen. Wesley Wildman, Vice President of Outreach, and our Tuesday and Thursday guest each week. Thank you for joining the show. We'll be back in a few minutes. Want to know how you can stay connected with the American Family Association? Just visit afa.net forward slash connect. There, you have access to all of AFA's mobile apps, social media accounts, subscriptions, and more. Be the first to stay up to date and informed about current events happening in our culture. Simply visit afa.net forward slash connect. 
American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. Gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit InHisImage.movie. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge. Defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Davis. A California Senate bill has recently been introduced that would seek to greatly limit peaceful protests near vaccination sites. The bill is so broad, folks, that it would greatly limit speech rights anywhere that vaccines are administered, which includes abortion clinics. Well, Pacific Justice Institute has formally opposed and testified against this bill because it is a government overreach as it attempts to silence those exercising their First Amendment rights. Pray that the Senate would not move this measure forward. Join us in the fight to protect our constitutional rights by becoming a prayer warrior today. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Glad to have you back for this third segment. My name is Walker Wildman. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Feel free to follow me on a couple public platforms, Twitter, Parler, or Parley, and Gitter, G-E-T-T-R is the name of this new platform put out by, uh, or built by Jason Miller, a former Trump uh, advisor and associate, and of course, there's other people that helped uh, build that platform, but he's one of the one of the headliners there uh, that 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 is uh, uh, introducing that platform, so you can find me in those three places, and you can also keep up with AFR uh, by following American Family Radio on all the different public uh, social media platforms. So, speaking of social media platforms, I have this tweet. We're gonna have a flashback Tuesday. I just made that up out of thin air. We're gonna have flashback Tuesday, and we're gonna go back to May 16 of 2017. And this is a tweet put out by Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and this is this is just fabulous. Here's the tweet from May 16, 
2017, just, uh, oh, not that long after the 2016 election. Here's the tweet. Our election was hijacked. There is no question. Congress has a duty to hashtag protect our democracy and hashtag follow the facts. That was put out at 11.44 a.m. on May 16th of 2017. Still up on Twitter, by the way. Maybe they'll take it down at some point. But the reason I note this is because there's this narrative out there. There's this this consensus out there amongst the the people who like dictators and like authoritarian regimes that any questioning of an election, any questioning of how well or not well an election was run is now considered misinformation and a conspiracy theory. But it's the Democrats, they themselves have questioned election results many times in the past. Many times in the past. And so Nancy Pelosi says that the 2016 election was hijacked, quote. She says there's no question that it was hijacked and that Congress has the duty to protect our democracy and follow the facts. Uh, But if anybody on the right, if any conservatives question the elections, well, we ought to be deplatformed. We are insurrectionist and we should not be able to speak in public ever again. Look, I've got and maybe one day I'll bring all these. But, you know, I've got clips of Democrats. uh, They've been questioning these uh, tabulation machines for years. I have public testimony on the House chamber floor of well-known Democrats questioning, and I'm not going to mention the company's names, but mentioning these well-known companies that sell these machines to all these states that tabulate the votes. Well, I've got I've got audio of these Democrats questioning whether these companies are reputable, whether their machines actually do the tabulations right in these various states. So, you know, this whole criticism of of conservatives that are that are bringing up raising valid questions about the um, uh, about the election last November and elections in the past. You know this is not this is not la la land. This is not conspiracy theory land. These are valid concerns that Americans have, and we deserve answers. And as I mentioned yesterday, if we can't trust the ballot box, if we can't trust the vote, folks, uh, that is a major major issue. I would argue one of the most fundamental issues of our day is being able to trust that when you and I vote, whether we're Republican, Democrat, independent, non-party, it doesn't matter. I'm talking about the fundamental basis and the fundamental fact that we should be able to vote for who we would like to lead our country and lead our local governments. And we should be able to know when the, when the, when the day is over, when the voting is done and everything's counted, that it's being done up to par, that it's being done right. That is not an unreasonable demand. I want to talk about this, um, what is dubbed by uh, many as the Black National Anthem. The NFL last week announced that they were going to play, and they did this sometime in 2020 as well during that, that season, uh, but the NFL announced that they are going to play what they're calling the Black National Anthem before all of its major events in the upcoming season. And this song is, this hymn is called Lift Every Voice and Sing. I actually published the, a link to the lyrics of this hymn on my, uh, on my social media pages just before I came on the show so you folks can re- read this for yourself. 
but the lyrics, this song, this hymn is is actually a good song. And it's really gotten tied up in what many are using it. Many are honestly using this for political purposes, for ideological purposes. But the hymn itself, if you folks, I would encourage you to go read the lyrics and listen to it. It's actually a very good hymn. And and the history goes back back to the early 1900s um, of, of the song there. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is, is that I think people have a sense that this is not right, that this is not good. And, and I'm going to try to articulate this in the best way that I can think possible. When I hear that the NFL is going to play this as, as what they are calling it, not me, what they are calling it, what the media is, is labeling this and branding it as, the, quote, black national anthem, end quote. That's what the way the media is spinning this. Well, that makes people, Americans, uncomfortable for this reason. Is the Star-Spangled Banner and the traditional na- national anthem that we've sung as a country for decades, is that not good enough? Is that not good enough? That's the question that comes about when we have to start adding songs to the pregame show of the NFL is, what's wrong with the standard national anthem that typically has united Americans of all backgrounds and all skin colors, all beliefs, all political beliefs, all ideologies, we've all typically come around and united around the national anthem, what has been known as the national anthem in America. And so... You know, if the NFL wants to play this hymn, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good hymn. Uh, but I think the problem is, is when we try to start labeling things as uh, songs as, well, that's a black song. And then the other national anthem, well, that's a white national anthem. And so we're going to play all. And then we got the Hispanic national anthem over here. And you, you get my point. It's, it's further dividing our country. Why can't, as a country, why can't we just come together under one national anthem? We are one people, one country, and so we should be able to unite around one national anthem. And so if we want to play Let Every, Lift Every Voice and Sing, I'm great with that. I like it. I played it in my office earlier. But I think we need to be careful branding this as a black national anthem because when we start branding things as, as a black thing or a white thing, we're just further dividing our country. We're just further dividing our country. And I just think it's really, really not healthy. We need to view things as a, as a society, as a culture. Uh, we need to view things that are good and noble as American things, as American things and not necessarily black and white things or purple things or yellow things. We need unity. We do not need further division. So that's my point on that. Uh, moving on, and this is actually a good poll, a good survey. This, uh, this survey uh, it was conducted by Convention of States Action. It's a it's a political group, uh, but they they partnered with this uh, polling firm called the Trafalgar Group, which is a pretty reputable polling firm, and they basically did this survey about patriotism and about pride in the in America and in the flag, and it actually rendered some pretty good results, some pretty encouraging. Results, this was done, uh, the poll was conducted with 1,094 registered U.S. voters. It was conducted over a two-day period, and the margin of error is about 3%. 
And the results here, just to sum it up, the okay, the survey revealed that 94% of Republicans, 82% of independents, and 70% of Democrats cited pride or patriotism as their dominant feelings towards the American flag. 82% of the overall group said that either pride or patriotism describes their sentiments they feel towards old glory, according to the survey released on Tuesday. And so when you add in all the party affiliations, the overall group, this is 1,094 people, uh, they said 82% of them said that they view the American flag with positive uh, positive thoughts, with pride or patriotism. So that's a good thing. And, and the left tries to divide our country and and tries to act like the American flag is hugely unpopular, unpopular and it's a sign of division. Uh, but when you ask the American people, 82% of them talk positively about our American flag, our American flag. There's this other, other report out, and this is out of PJ Media. The We've all been skeptical of the election poll results, the election polls where they say, you know, so-and-so candidate is up 30 points in this state or this district. Well, this is... This is a report, uh, once I mentioned, like I mentioned out of PJ Media. Here's a headline. New report shows presidential polls in 2020 were the least accurate in 40 years. This was put together by Morning Consult and Politico. And here's basically the conclusion, the summary. I'm going to read how off these pollsters were. The Economist publication or poll, the Economist election unit's final presidential polling forecast gave Biden 50 more electoral votes than he actually won. An ABC News Washington Post poll had Biden winning Wisconsin by 17 points with a week to go before Election Day. The final result in Wisconsin showed a 0.7 point, showed a point, a 0.7 point margin between Trump and Biden, so it was much closer than they thought. Uh, 538, that's another polling outfit. 538 polling average showed Trump barely winning Ohio by 0.8 points over Biden. Well, the actual result in Ohio was that Trump won by almost nine points. The New York Times predicted that if the polls were as wrong as they were in 2016, Biden would still win Florida by close to one point. Well, Biden lost to Trump in Florida by 3.3 points. Another 538 poll, uh, 538's final U.S. House polling forecast gave Democrats 20 more seats than they actually won. And lastly, uh, 14 polls uh, in, in all got the Maine Senate race wrong. The U.S. Senate race there in Maine, one Quinnipiac poll gave Democrat Sarah Gideon a 12-point lead over the incumbent Republican Susan Collins. Well, Collins won that race by eight to eight points. So that's nearly a 20-point margin of error. So it goes to point to point out that, look, I know these are polls. Uh, the polls, that you can hardly ever predict what the actual results are going to be for an election. Um, but the, but the, these outlets in the media, they, they push these polls as the gospel. And it turns out they get it wrong. And not only do they get it wrong, but sometimes these mainstream outlets, uh, they get it wrong big time. 
they get it wrong big time, and they never really fess up to it. As a matter of fact, the next election cycle, they'll be pitching their polls as the latest and the greatest polling outfit when they are losing uh, their reputation when it comes to the credibility of their polling out, uh, outfits and their polling results. I want to play clip two here. This is Stacey Abrams. Look, uh, this is, well, this is a little bit too long for, for the rest of the show. I'll just summarize this for our listeners. Uh, Stacey Abrams was on uh, on MSNBC with one of their hosts, and, and she basically, she did. She described Republicans, conservatives, the GOP, she described them as, quote, authoritarian, end quote. And we'll, we'll bring this clip in tomorrow, and I'll play the entire clip. Um, but, but this is coming from Stacey Abrams, from a Democrat, and this is on the heels of, of the White House admitting that they are working with major companies to deplatform American citizens that they don't like. This comes on the heels of the Democrat Party admitting uh, that they are working with text message providers, with, with cellular companies, to try to censor, to try to filter text messages about vaccines and, quote, misinformation. And, and for, the, for, the, for the Democrats to project that the, Dem- that the Republicans are authoritarian is 100% false. But this is, this is what I want you to get from this. This is what they do. The Hillary Clinton days, the Barack Obama days, the, the, their, their cronies, their allies, they are masters at projecting things on others that they themselves are guilty of. And so Stacey Abrams taking a, 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 a playbook out of the Clinton's playbook, projecting that, uh, that Republicans are authoritarian, well, in reality, when you look at what's going on, it's the Democrats that are that are having authoritarian-type behavior and recommending taking authoritarian-type actions against their political opponents. They are the ones that are authoritarian. And this should concern people of all stripes, of all backgrounds, that the commander-in-chief is willing to deplatform and cancel American citizens he disagrees with. This should be about unity, not division. We'll be back tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.